And now it is time for We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie. Here are your hosts, Mike Schmidt and Gary Jones. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, Good morning. and welcome to We Are Just Christians. We're really glad that you've tuned in today. We always mention that, but we don't want you to think that we take it for granted that you might listen to the show. Hope that you'll do that every week. Encourage others that you know to listen, that they might gain some benefit and maybe even join the discussion here. This is a live call-in show, so we'd be thrilled to have your participation in it. I'll give you those numbers in just a moment or ways that you can reach us here on We Are Just Christians so you can participate in the show, help us out. Perhaps we can all learn something and gain some kind of spiritual insight into whatever is being discussed. My name is Mike Schmidt, as you heard. I'm the preacher and one of the elders for the Church of Christ here on Savona Boulevard in Port St. Lucie. And Gary Jones, how you doing, Gary? I'm doing fine this morning, Mike. Uh, Gary, Gary's the other co-host. He's the other elder of the church. And so we bring you this show, the church does, so that we can talk about this idea of being just a Christian, not part of some man-made denomination or following the traditions of men or even the dictates of secular society. Although it's a difficult job, we're imperfect at it, I'm sure, but we're trying to get back to just what the New Testament says about how we ought to conduct our lives. Now, we believe that the New Testament, even though it was written in a particular time and culture, uh, it contains timeless principles that can be applied to modern society because human beings have not changed. And even though we have more technology and, and so forth, we certainly haven't changed. Man has the same problems he's always had. And the scriptures have the answer to that, and the scriptures will can lead us to saving ourselves from our own sins, because God, uh, uh, by saving ourselves, I should say, by following God's way of being saved, not human ways. Well, and there's Peter, all kind I of think ways Peter like said that. on 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 the day of Pentecost, "Save yourselves," uh, and I think that's what he replied by obeying right. God, obeying God from this crooked generation, a perverse or twisted generation of people, which is. Off, which aptly describes the generation that we're living in. So anyway, we're pointing people to God through the scriptures. And so whenever you call in the show, we'll try to give you an answer to whatever question it is based upon what we know about the Bible. And along that line, perhaps you can help us by pointing us to something that would inform us or inform the other listeners, or maybe you just want to ask a question, or maybe you've got a complaint about Something that's happening in your life, something you heard on this show, something that happened to you brought on by a religious person or religious beliefs. We'd be glad to hear about all that. You don't have to be a believer to call in. So anyway, let me give you the number. 772-340-1590 is the call-in number. 772-340-1590 is the comp number to reach us here in Port St. Lucie. And uh, we'd be glad to take your call from anywhere in the world if you're listening on the Internet. You can also reach the show by text message. Gary and I each have text numbers that you can use live during the show. We'll try to respond as best we can, uh, as well as during the week. And the text numbers are similar, but here they are. Mine is 772-260-6120. is my text number. And Gary's text number is 772-260-6220 is Gary's number. So you can give us a text. Uh, you can text us if that's convenient to you to do that. We can also be reached by email. 
we can't answer emails during the show, but we can certainly respond to them during the week and maybe even do a show on questions that you might ask. We'd love to have questions or emails about things as well as others. But uh, the, the email is justchristians at att.net. Justchristians at att.net. Before we go to the phones, let me just also mention this show is available as a podcast on iTunes. Just go there and look for We Are Just Christians, and you'll be taken to this show, and you can follow it as a podcast. If you just want to listen to the recordings of the show, you can go to our website, which is wearejustchristians.com. Wearejustchristians.com is the website. You'll find recordings of this show going back for a long time. I've kind of generally put the subjects being discussed in the titles. They're not perfect, but they give you some idea. And um, there records us and the callers both. And then you can also listen to the sermons that we preach here and the different lessons searchable by topic. And uh, you'll find some things are devotional, some things are topical, things like that there at wearejustchristians.com. Well, we got a phone call, Gary. Uh, are you there, Ken? Yeah, Mike, I'm here. How you doing? Good. What's uh? For you today. What's that? I got a couple of scriptures here for you. Oh, okay. To talk about. Uh, Exodus three fourteen, Revelation one eight, and Acts nine, specifically verse five. All right, let's go to the book of Exodus. Um, then you said 314. Yeah. I think I kind of know generally what these scriptures are, but let's go look them up. That's book of Acts. And read them. Well, Exodus 314. Oh, Exodus 314. Uh, I got that one. What was the what was the third Acts one? Acts is 9-5. The third nine, one five. is 9-5. Okay. Exodus 314. Now the, wait a minute, I think I went to the wrong chapter. Sorry. I ended up in Exodus 14 instead of Exodus 3. Uh, sorry Acts about that. What's that? 314 is correct. 314. And, and God said to Moses, I am, and I'm reading the New King James Version, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And so um, I guess that in, in most versions, in my the translators have capitalized the phrase I am who I am and the word I am. I am because they view that as God's name, Yahweh or whatever version of that. And the King James, it would be Jehovah. It comes up the rest of the Bible at, for the most, many, many places as Jehovah, which is kind of an amalgamation of Yahweh and Adonai, the two words for God and Lord in Hebrew. Anyway, what's your question about that or comment about that, Ken? Uh, okay. Um, this is uh, how I'm going to read it to you. Uh, it's based on the Hebrew word hayah, which will mean will be, uh, or, 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 or I am. And it's... Are we still there? Still there, Ken? 
something got overloaded. So anyway, uh, we'll wait till that. Can you, if, when Ken uh, get back on, just uh, holler at us. What I've read about that word, and I don't know if this corresponds to what Ken was going to say or not, is this is refer, re, refers to the idea of pre-existent or eternally existent, present tense, I am, not I was or I will be, and it's God's name. He is the pre-existent, always eternal one. Are you there, Ken? Yeah, yeah, I'm here. All right, station. It, it says they had an audio circle, so in some way, whatever that means in radio lingo, they had an audio circle. Sorry about that. Go ahead. So uh, Revelation uses the same phrase, too, in Revelation 1.8. Yes. Um, okay, so this is, this is what I'm going to tell you about this. I was God, I am God, and I will be God. And that's, that's, no, that's not a choice. What do you mean it's not a choice? What's your, what, what's your yeah, yeah, God is God, and you can't do anything about it. You can deny it if you want, but, you know, it ain't, it, it is. It just is. Right. Well, that, yes, and that's what the word means. It means that which is, or he, I, I am, and it's not a past tense, as I said. It's more active present tense. So whenever we're speaking those words, God is, and he is the etern- and he's always been. It's interesting that Revelation, in the verse that you mentioned, and this, I thought of this, yeah, yeah, this while is, you were talking. This is the being one. Revelation puts it a little bit differently but i think related i'm the alpha and the omega which alpha the first letter of the greek alphabet omega the last letter of the greek alphabet the beginning and the end says the lord who is who was and who is to come the almighty and the hebrew that would be el shaddai the almighty one uh, meaning omnipotent one so it uh, those are Big word, big descriptions, big words. No human can say that. You know, we can say I am. We mean by that at the present time I exist, but we certainly can't say I was and I will be in the same way at all that God can. And we're not almighty either. So, um, and this is the name. This then becomes the basis. If I understand this, you may disagree or t- inform me more, Ken, but. Uh, if I understand, this is the basis of the name Jehovah or name Yahweh. It's the basis of his name. Uh, what do you want to I mean, is that what you want to say or do you have a. Yes, and, and you notice it also says in Exodus 3.14, it says, I am. Which is why the Jews took up stones to throw the stone when he said, I am. Right. It It doesn't. And that's, yes, we see this quite a few times in Jesus' ministry, where he says the word, I, uses the phrase, I am. Um, I don't know if it's really meant to be present when he says, I am the door of the sheep or whatever, or I am the, I am the light of the world, but it's certainly, this is the phrase he uses. 
But when he used it with the Pharisees would question him and he said, I am. He said, unless you believe when he started talking. Yeah, uh, unless you believe that I, I am, am or I am he, we would say in English. He was, they understood what he meant. We don't quite, quite, quite catch this in our translations and because we're not culturally used to thinking of God's name that way. But I think that you're correct, Ken, if you're if you're trying to say that he was intentionally stating that he was Jehovah in that sense, that he was the eternally existent one. Before Abraham was, he said, I am. So they knew what he meant, and you're right. That's why they took up stones to kill him. I think it's I think God in the hay, the first two letters of the Yad Hay, Bob Hay, which Yahweh, is yes. Mm-hmm. It is. And 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 that's uh that's not lost on a person who speaks Hebrew. If one, if he understands the Old Testament at all, he would understand that that's exactly what Jesus was saying. Even if he said it in Greek, he would understand what he meant. And that's the way they took it, and Jesus didn't correct them about that. So there are those out there who say that Jesus never claimed to be God, but I think that they're, they're very much mistaken about that. They might have to come up with a different argument. He claimed this is this is a this is where he did claim to be God based on what the Old Testament said, who the, who they said God was. And this is not. I think this is. Um, if, if you look at verse fourteen of Exodus three, and God said to Moses, "I am who I am." Well, that word God there is this is Elohim, the plural plural plural. Well, I can't talk. Plural of L, which is a gen- I would say, forgive me for this, the generic word for God, used by all cultures, even at the time it was spoken, Elohim or L. But he says it says, and God said, I am who I am. So God said, I am Jehovah. My name is really Jehovah. They call me other names. In other cultures, and they worship other beings as if they were me. They worship Baal and Ashtoreth as if they were God, but the name of God is Jehovah, the God of the Hebrews. I believe that's how how the Old Testament should be read, and we we lose this when we just substitute generic words like God and Lord. We we lose the meaning that it would ha- it would have to the people to whom it was spoken. He was making a very specific claim about who this God that they would worship is. Like people today say, do Muslims worship the same God as Christians? Well, I would say no, they don't. They worship a God named Allah. And uh, my God is Jehovah and his son, who he claims to be Jehovah, uh, Jesus, who came in the form of a man. And we do not worship the same God as the Buddhists, because our God is specifically Jehovah. I know we don't worship the same God as the other ancient people, other people of ancient times. And not only does he have that name, but the Old Testament, very clearly, as well as the New, define his characteristics and personality. And his judgments and precepts and his righteousness, they just define clearly who he is and what he means and what he stands for as opposed to these other gods of the other cultures and so anyway uh there's an interesting uh 
in Revelation 1, if you go back in the other, in further back in the chapter, that phrase is used again in verse 4. It says, grace be to you from him who is and who was and who is to come from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness and firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kingdoms of the earth. So, you know, as you go back and even further, go back to 1-1, the revela- in the New King James, it says the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants. So there's a order there again that, that comes right. up. Uh, and that phrase is used several times in, in these opening verses, both the Alpha and the Omega, and that who is and who was and who is to come. It's used more than once within those first chapters. Right. I think you and you kind of see at the end of the book of Revelation, he's come, but uh, there, that phrase. By the way, we get a funny text from John. He says, Jesus says, I am divine and you are the branches. <laughs> and I would say, I think John is in, he's an Egyptian in denial anyway <laughs> of the truth. But anyway, that's uh, obviously just a piece of humor, but <clears throat> What do, what do you want to add to this, Ken? I don't, maybe, probably not making the point you want to make with it. Well, what about Acts 9 5? Was there a point about that one? Uh, it's about the phrase, is it hard to kick against the prick? Yeah. Okay, let me, let me go over there um, just to take a look at that myself in case there's something else that I we'd like to bring out on that one and he said to him who are you lord this is the vision of jesus as after his resurrection as he appears to the apostle to a saul of tarsus at that time he said i am jesus whom you are persecuting it's hard for you to kick against the goads or the the pricks now do you want to come you're commenting about him saying ask him who are you lord or or about the kicking against the pricks no what what do you Define kicking against the pricks. Well, I think it, basically uh, the pricks are the scriptures that pointed to Jesus in, in my personal view. Uh, and Paul is rejecting those against his better issue, against those issues. He would come to understand those later on. But but God is is poking him on, trying to get him toward the right direction. And I think he's doing it with scripture, and now he's going to do it directly. Well, I think what I've taught about this in the past, Ken, I don't know if it's what you're getting at, is that Saul was no stranger to Jesus. He didn't believe in him, but he was no stranger. He had been he had been watching him all through his ministry as a, as a Pharisee, and he had seen the things that Jesus had done. And he'd seen the miracles. He'd seen all these things were goading him. The word go, the word prick there means goads. He's being goaded toward believing. God is giving him evidence to believe. And I, I think Saul he, has resisted this all along. And now he, he, he asks him, why are you kicking? Why are you resisting what you're seeing with your own eyes? Well, I think he was supposed to be seeing these in, rel- in, in relative description to what was in the scriptures that he was looking for. These things basically were said, uh, and some of the places where he said, when John asked, you know, are you the one to come, and what did Jesus say? 
basically you see the blind right. see the, right. the all of those things. And he, and he tells me, I, I, so I, I think I don't I don't think we're and saying Isaiah, anything. Isaiah said that basically yeah, Isaiah right. said these things are going to happen. We're not seeing anything. We're not saying anything different, Gary. Yeah, I, we're simply I don't think I think we're I, what I'm saying is he's he has seen with his own eyes and and in things that have happened to him in in watching the ministry of Jesus the very things that the scripture has prophesied he's seen it with his own eyes and yet Saul was had been resisting this and i've seen this many times as a preacher that there are people who really are not very far from the kingdom as it were as he told the one scribe but they've just resist and they're usually the reasons that we and i use the we to include me the reasons we are resisting has to do with some personal thing that we think we're going to lose or imagine that would be detrimental to us if we if we follow christ right the root is generally pride but yes there are things that we want it's also fear and and we we think we're going to lose something if we become a christian and that's that's most people's problem what do i have to what am i going to lose here and so some people have a lot to lose to become a christian you live in ethiopia or nigeria right now or, or even if you live in Afghanistan or, or some place like that, China, you, you have a lot to lose to become a Christian. We in America, uh, thanks be to God, do not have as much to lose. But I think, I personally think you always have, whether it's culturally or whatever it is, you always have a lot to lose to become a Christian. Well, what did That's Jesus, kind of the point. What did You've Jesus say? Your he, life. he who loses his life saves it. Right. He, he's comparing it to what... You're going to lose what you want to save yourself. I, I, I can't put it any other way. I, I don't know how to say it differently. He he does that in a couple of places. Let me let me see if I can. Find Sin it. is always about self-interest, and and we don't recognize it as such. We have a hard time. We often have a hard time naming, putting a name on the self-interest that is motivating us to resist Jesus Christ. He keeps telling us in various ways in the, in the Gospels that it's in our, in our best interest to give up ourself and serve him because his burden is, uh, his yoke is light, meaning it is easy to bear. It's meant for us to bear this yoke of Christ, but we don't see it this way. We think it's a loss. Now, in, in my own definition of what the word flesh means in the New Testament, we we're at war with the flesh. I think this is it. It isn't the fact that we have a body and we have to flagellate our body in some way because our flesh is evil. Uh, that's what the Greeks taught. That's not what Christ taught. I think this flesh is that very idea that we're protecting ourself, what we view as ourself, from giving up things that we think are in our best interest. And we don't know our best interest. We only think we do. We've been corrupted by Satan and things in the world as to what is in our best interest. The gospel is in our best interest, giving that up, and yet we can't see it because we're protecting the flesh. Did you find the verse? I, yeah, I can almost I, I tell did, you off the top right, of my head, Gary, right. but now, you've well, got it in front of you. So. It's Matthew 10, but I want to begin in verse 34 because he, he lays the foundation for it in in just exactly the things we're talking about. He says, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. 
For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake, we'll find it. Right. Those those are the okay, it's it's peace is gonna go away, is what he's saying. Right. You know, I can think of a couple of cases of people I, I, maybe I shouldn't say this on the air, I don't know, but I, I can t- I'll, I'll tell you someone that I've been praying for. Um that's fits into this category that's being goaded. And I I'll give you one one is Jordan Peterson. If you know, if you don't know Jordan Peterson, you need to look up Jordan Peterson and watch his videos and re- get his book. But Jordan Peterson is an agnostic. At least that's when I first ran into him, who was a psychology professor in Canada of no particular political persuasion. People have tried to put a lot of labels on him, but he he's simply a man who's using his mind and, and is resisting this trans ideology. And especially he's resisting the force with which trans ideology is being applied to society. But the man is in my in, in, in short, Jordan Peterson is brilliant. He is a thinker. He reminds me in his journey because he has come from being a very much an avowed atheist or agnostic to being, I would call him at least a spiritual person now in the last two or three years. God has been pushing him. God is goading him. He, when you listen to some of his videos on whether God exists, we listen to some of his teaching on the Bible because he's done some study on the Bible, which is really interesting. God is goading this man to become a believer. Will he? I don't know. Is he? I, I don't think he's the kind of believer that you that I would call from the Bible sense believer. But he's very close. He's he's like that scribe I just mentioned that Jesus said, "Thou art not thou art not far from the kingdom," because God is goading him. Will he be able to finish the course? I don't know. I'll tell you another one that I prayed for, but I think this one's gone off the tracks, and that's Kanye West. I know your jaws are dropping, <laughs> but Kanye West left the world he was in. And move toward God in the right way was goaded by his own conscience and things that he saw. And I think living with Kim Kardashian is going to goad you one way or the other. Let's put it that way. You probably can't remain neutral and be involved with the Kardashians. You're going to go toward Satan or you're going to go toward God. Well, he went toward God and got derailed. And unfortunately so in the last few weeks, I believe, from what I can tell. But then again, I really don't know what's true because I do not trust very often what I see and read. But I I think he's off the track. Any time that we begin to uh, segregate out the races and the groups of humans and act like that makes a difference, we are not close to the gospel anymore. So. But those are two men that I prayed for, that they would stop resisting the goads that are being given. Now, other people, I don't know what it would take to goad them. I don't think a cattle prod would goad them. We had someone text in, 
uh, this kicking against the goats is against the prodding. Yes, it is. I don't think a cattle prod would move some people because they are so determined to protect themselves. They're so determined to protect their own ego or whatever they think they have, whatever position in life they have, that they can't be moved by the truth. You see this, Gary, and I'm, maybe I'm off track. You see this in dealing with people whose uh, spouses are involved in sexual abuse, in pedophilia or sexual abuse you, uh, with children or minors. The spouses of those people, either male or female, have so much to lose. Even the children of those people have so much to lose by understanding and admitting to the truth in their mind that they often resist the truth very strongly and a man's enemies will be those of his own household yes and so but so sometimes they just can't it they think and, and i don't say that because they actually well they do have something to lose but what they can gain is something much better what does jesus say about the truth this is all related the truth will set you free but do you really want to be free that's the question, because, and that's the question he asked the Jews, essentially. Do you want to be free? They said, well, we've been, never been in bondage to any man. And he, he looks at them, I'm sure, with a stunned look, and they, they've been in bondage to the Egyptians for sure, and they were in bondage to the Romans at that very moment. But the, the Pharisees, for example, they said this man is going to bring the Romans, and they'll take away our nation and our place. place. They had a lot to lose by acknowledging the truth of Jesus Christ and about who they were and about their history, and so they wouldn't do it. God gives you chances, and this goes down, this probably works with nations and cultures and groups and churches, but it certainly works with individuals too. Now, Ken, we've left you way behind, and we got another caller. What do you, uh, what do you want to say on this, Ken? Okay, uh, let me see where our code is. And then uh, I'll make one other comment. An ox goad is a wood stick with a metal point on it. Yeah. They jab the ox to get him to move. And the ox would kick at it. And that would just make it more painful for the ox. It would just go deeper in and you'd get hurt more. And I think a lot of people do this. They resist God to their detriment. Now, that includes me. When I was a teenager, I was resisting God. And it's kind of a foolish thing to do, I think. And I think Jordan Peterson is an excellent example that you gave. It's just like Saul was persecuting Christians. Oh, God's not going to be good with that. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. If you, if you will follow, if you will just look up the videos on YouTube of Jordan Peterson about God, and follow them by date, you will see a transformation taking place. I think I see it, and it's it's moving. It's it's powerful. Uh, he's so uh, got he's so close to understanding the the truth. But anyway, uh, yes, I believe that's right. It, it is a goad that you move it, and when you resist it, it gets worse. And Saul finally gave up, and then was blessed. Well, God blessed Saul with persecution. <laughs> well, it, from persecutor it, to persecuted. But in, in <laughs> you know, figuratively, Saul had to be hit between the eyes with a two before. Yeah, some people are like that. And, I, and 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 I think this was just one more of the goads. I mean, 
what did he, he told him, you know, go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. Did Saul still have the opportunity to turn another way? I think so. Mm -hmm. He made a choice, but he, he made the choice at that point to do the right thing. Well, Ken, uh, we're going to have to let you go here. You have any final comments? Then we're going to let you go. What's that? I think he's gone. Okay. Well, I appreciate the call very much. It's an interesting subject. Got some more to say about that, but we'll we'll move on here. Jerry, are you there? Morning, Mike. Can you hear me? I can. Thanks for waiting. Uh, good morning, Gary. I was good wondering. Uh, in the '60s, you used to uh, hear a lot of. Uh, uh, the Trump collector far farming being done in Europe after the Second World War. And uh, could we as Americans take that to mean sharecroppers? And uh, they must have had a very, uh, must have been really uh, devout in our, uh, in our Christian belief. But uh, I was wondering about that term, why you don't hear it much anymore. Uh, but you heard a lot in the 60s, uh, collective farming in Europe. And uh, uh, also, if you have time, uh, or wandering uh, in Viking lore, uh, they speak about the uh, the screaming rocks of Helen Helenar. It's also known as the uh, as the side wings of Helenar. And what it was was these uh, Viking ships were breaking up on a reef in front of under uh, one was it the Isle, Isle of Gaul. Uh, where they when they said the screaming rocks of Helen Long, and uh, also also known as uh, the side wings of Helen Long. I, I, I took one of the usual words for wings, side wings, that they were talking about witches, you know. Uh, but I was just wondering, was it the Isle of Gaul that they, would that be the, the coastline of France? Or uh, and, uh, and I know it's kind of confusing, but. Uh, well, uh, I, I've uh, not heard that, but I, I do think... Uh, Mike, uh, can I listen off air? Will that be okay? Yes, yes, you can. Thank you, Jerry, for calling. Yeah, I, I don't... I'm not familiar with the, that Viking legend. I'll have to say, maybe Gary is, but I know Gaul in the ancient world was what, in general terms, what we would call France, that yeah. area there of Europe. And, and um, you know, the Vikings uh, probably... is tremendous amounts of misinformation about the Vikings, but they they explored everywhere and um, so forth. But I don't know much about their about their um, some of their history as much as I would like. Now, as far as this collective farming goes, I think you're probably referring to the Soviet idea that uh, the land belongs to the government. They would say it belongs to everybody. Nobody really owns anything, which means that the government owns it. And um, because when you say everybody owns it, somebody has to run it. So guess who gets to run it? The party. You know, the, the, the Politburo, the party gets to run it and own it. They get to tell you. But the problem is collective farming has never, from my understanding, never really worked in the world because it's against human nature. And this is what this is what. Uh, leftists and utopians in general do not ever want to admit or understand is that uh, we are we are locked in to a large degree although humans have done marvelous things and can do marvelous things there are limits to that we are locked in to some things by our nature and just never want to admit that that's what a lot of this transgender stuff now is people just simply refusing to to live within the limits of the nature of their own created being 
But collective farming is against human nature because uh, we tend to work hardest and best for that which we own and that which is ours that we're responsible for. And when you take away that incentive, and so if someone doesn't work and doesn't produce, they get the same as those who do produce, what happens very quickly, I mean, it doesn't take very long, Gary, nobody produces anything yeah. except by force, when it's, which if you look at the history of the Soviet Union, you look at the history of China, look at the history of Cuba, you will see that that's what happened. It takes more and more force to get anything accomplished because these systems are against human nature. They sound nice. Everything sounds nice. We'll all just share. But nobody likes to share when and, and it's always a few that do most of the work in any situation. And then if everybody reaps the same benefit, it just won't work. Now, of course, you forget the reality also, which is part of human nature, that in, a, in the communist or Marxist systems, the party or the, the leaders, the elite always get more than everybody else. And that's the way it is, too. It's the same thing. Anyway, were you going to say something? Well, well basically, I was just going to say that uh, I think a lot of this emphasis on this has dropped off as at least in certain areas, because we have become more accustomed to importing foods rather than growing them locally. And some areas have just simply dropped out of this idea of collective farming because it's moved. It's moved into different areas. We're, we're becoming so globally dependent on other areas to, to feed ourselves that it's in some ways scary. But that's well, I'm, impl- I'm, 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 I'm applying this idea of collective farming to the whole economy, yeah. which is the way it's done. Farming used to be just a major economic activity. Yes, we're globally dependent, and, and yet some of the same people want to move to local things. They, they, some ideas that humans have, Gary, are just mind-bogglingly numb. Not even say dumb. I did say numb. It's like the brain is numb. The, 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 the idea that we should eat local. How, how are they eating local in Minnesota right now or Canada? What are yeah. they eating locally there that they can grow? They have to eat canned foods, and not everybody – and if you have a disaster or anything else, and you only have a limited number of things that you can preserve. And so the modern idea that we can ship food all over the world or all over the country at least is a wonderful thing. But, oh, no, we can't – got to eat local. Oh, anyway. Uh, well, as we, go to, as we go to more organic farming and things like that – some things are going to pick up, but it, well, I don't even I don't believe in inorganic farming. Oh, I don't think maybe they well, don't mean that, but, but I don't think in I use farm it in the rocks. Terms, I, I term, use it in the terms of chemical. Uh, yeah, all all, all 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 fertilizers, whether they come out of back end of a cow or whatever, are organic. But, but anyway, <laughs> they're the same things. But but uh, yeah, there are some man-made objects in, but they once again we're going to argue over definitions. And um, but collectivism simply doesn't work because, number one, it is against human nature. And that being the case, this is why it always leads to violence and force and compulsion, which is what we see in our culture happening. More and more compulsion about certain things that we want everyone to do by force. And you, you can only get so so high a percentage when you use persuasion. You can never persuade some people not to jump off the bridge. So you can only get a certain percentage by persuasion, and so we think we should get the rest by force. 
um, this is not a scriptural idea in particular. And especially even even uh, and I do not I do not grant that the New Testament church in the beginning that Jesus taught socialism when it says that they had all things common, each one didn't consider the things that he had were his own in Acts. It's obvious within one chapter, Peter is plainly telling Ananias and Sapphira that while your money and your land, while you, it, was, it was in your possession, it was yours. and while it, there it was yours, he's obviously uh, not, he obviously did not teach something a chapter earlier that indicated that the Christians had given up private property and all become Marxists or socialists. Living on a collect, living in a commune, that isn't what all what those verses mean. They simply mean that they didn't consider, even though it was theirs, they were willing to share with everyone who was a Christian, and they had open hearts and were generous with each other. Well, that's great. That's what we try to practice here at this church as best we can. But that doesn't mean they were, had become socialists and given up private property. And you can see this, and then you see later in the middle of Paul telling the Christians. Uh, and other churches that they ought to share with one another when there was a famine going on, uh, he condemns those who won't work. And he says, if they won't work, neither let them eat. So that doesn't sound like collectivism, unless it's the force of the state, you know. You're not going to work on the collective farm. We're going to starve you to death. But that's not the love feast that we're pictured, is pictured in the propaganda that goes on today. So so we can we can analyze that a little bit more Deeply, I suppose, but well, the, trouble, even, the trouble with utopianism is it's against human nature as God created man, and therefore it doesn't work in the practical world. Well, even even in the parable of the talents, uh, there were there were ones given five talents. There were ones given just a few or even one talent. This is income inequality as it's looked at. Today, yes, and it, it seems that. Rewards kind of follow that idea. I'm not saying that they were rewarded personally for their different capabilities, but that's there. That idea is underlying in those in those parables. Well, it is, and the truth is, the one that had the most, who was given the most, most returned the returned most. the most because he had the capability to do that, and he was willing to to work and do it. The one who buried it in the ground didn't do anything. Jesus punished him, so he's. Speaking to human nature, I, I believe that if you were to take all the money in the United States and distribute it equally across the entire population in, in just 10 a years, short time, it would be right back where it is, or at least pretty close. Now, there are people who would take advantage, and there are people who would lose it. But in general, it wouldn't be a lot different. You'd still see income inequality. Now, uh, you know, there are several different things that can address income inequality, but I do not, I do not believe that instituting envy as a national economic policy is a good thing. And that's where at least one of our political parties, if not both of them, what they've done over, this, over the years is make envy a part of the economic policy well, of the envy, United States. Envy is only one part of division that they've introduced. Division is good for control of a totalitarian government. Right. And that's one aspect of the division that's being introduced in our country today. But I don't think that um, – and, and share, now, sharecropping – Gary mentioned sharecropping. I made a note to myself here that he mentioned sharecropping. I, I think sharecropping was something a little bit different. I, I, like everything else human, once again, you can see the implementation of the idea could be bad or good 
at least sharecropping I, as, as I understand it, I'm certainly no expert on it, but from what I've read about it, understand it, and probably some of my relatives were sharecroppers in the sense that it's where uh, the people who work the land share with the pro- and the profits of the land with the landowner. And you have a piece of property that you work that you share the profits from. There's, there's a couple of ways, for example, after having lived in Illinois in the farm country for a few, some years, back in the 90s, um, two ways that farmers farmed up there. Sometimes they owned the land, which was is not as common, but they people the people who did own the land, for example, my landlady owned... I don't know how many, a thousand acres probably, maybe a little bit less that she inherited from her husband who was a farmer, but she couldn't farm it. She was an old lady. No offense to old ladies. But um, anyway, I don't know where to go with that one. But anyway, I'll stay. I'll just walk (laughs) away. I'll just walk away. But uh, she, she leased out the land to my neighbor who lived close to me. I lived on the, I lived on the house on the land. The land was leased out to him. He was a Mennonite, and he got a percentage of the crops every year. At least part of one contract was that. So whatever they made on the crops from him farming it, he got a percentage. So if he did a good job and they got a lot of profit, then he got he made more money. So he had an he had an incentive to um, do a good job. Now the, the problem with that is he. A lot of the things that determine the good crop were not in his control, like rainfall and hail and all kind of other stuff. Weather. So you, weather, yeah. So you take a risk. The the other kind is he just he would just farm it out, and I forgot the name for this. Somebody probably I thought I knew it, but I guess I don't. Is that he would just simply take a certain amount per acre, whatever how many acres they had, he got this much money per acre, and that was it. Well, Gary, we got another call on the phone on the line. Uh, Laura, are you there? Yes, sir. Good morning. Sorry if you've been holding. I didn't know you were on the line. Go ahead. It's okay. It's okay. I was enjoying listening. What's on your mind? On a few things that had you touched on a few things that crossed my mind, such as the believers shared everything in the early church, but also in the gospel, when somebody wanted to know the rich man, what must he do to inherit eternal life? He followed all the commandments, but Jesus told him to go sell everything he had and give it to the poor. And he went away sorrowful because he wouldn't do it. Yeah, now, if that, here's the problem with that, that uh, you can interpret that, the meaning of that broadly in a couple of ways. One or two, I think, Laura, are simply not going to be accurate. If that if that is the example that all Christians should sell everything they have and give it to the poor, then you're not going to have the situation that you have throughout the New Testament of some Christians having much good, many goods, and they gave them to the poor to help them, but they didn't give away everything. They gave away a portion of that. It doesn't fit with Paul's commands in 1 Corinthians that we're to take our money and uh, give uh, as we've been prospered week by week for the sake of the gospel and helping others. 
So I think that story was a that command was a specific command to that individual because he was rich. And uh, two things about that. He he's the one who really needed to hear that because he obviously was covetous and Jesus was testing him to see if he would give it up to serve Jesus. He said he loved Jesus. Would you give it up to serve me? And so he his envy or his whatever you want to call it, his love of his love of his possessions got in the way. And that's true for a lot of people. So I think it was more of a specific commandment as a test to that man. Now, then on the other side of the coin, what I believe about that young man is the parallel I make, Laura, maybe I'm the only one that thinks this. I don't know. So you can judge it for yourself. I think he was actually calling that young man to be an apostle. Is that not what he said, what happened with Peter and the first disciples? He said, come follow me. And Matthew got up and left his money tables and followed him. Peter and John left their fishing nets and followed him. They gave, up a, they gave it all up, as it were. And yet, of course, we still, still see Peter fishing later. So uh, I don't think it means what leftists or collectivists want to make it mean that we should all give up everything we own, put it in a collective, and then and then in the end, let somebody else own it who's a Christian. Yeah, that, that well, won't work. What's that? It's what you're saying. Absolutely. It was specific to that individual because God knows the heart. Yes, he, he knew that that fellow needed to hear this. Now, on the other hand, might there be a situation in life? Well, let me tell you something. When Christ calls any one of us with the gospel, he's really saying, um, get rid of all that you have and follow me. It doesn't always mean I have to give up all my money and follow him. But I tell you what, whatever money I have when I become a Christian and whatever money I gain while I'm a Christian, I, I give it up to the Lord. It is It belongs to his service. Some of that to be used to care for my family and my uh, my responsibilities. That's what the gospel commands me to do that. And then I, the rest of it belongs to him. And as I have opportunity, I'm to give to, to all men and help them. So people of the world hold, hold on to their money, and they want to be buried with it literally in their coffin. As soon as a man becomes a Christian, the call is you have to give it all up, and that includes your money, to Christ's service. And he's going to judge you on the basis of whether you sincerely are willing to do that when needed to do that, or whether you're really going to hold on to it. And that's a that's a big topic, a big issue, involves a lot of self-reflection. But I believe, and so in that sense, yes, we all have to sell all that we have, as it were, the pearl of great, and buy the pearl of great price. Um, so that's how I would apply that passage, Laura, at least generally. That kind of goes in with, uh, those so sparingly will reap sparingly, and those who reap so generously I think so. I, I think he's the Christians are are called immediately because of and, and the parallel is made in Second Corinthians chapters eight and nine, where Paul is discussing the needs of the people in famine in Judea. And he was urging the Greeks to send money to help those Christians there. He, he tells them that Christ himself is God's indescribable gift to man. And therefore, that Get the nature of Christ as a gift 
becomes the icon of Christian life, that we all view uh, ourselves as gifts to other people, and we use our being and our, our money and our abilities to serve others. Whether it's all of our money or part of our money, whatever it may be the need at that moment, this is what Christians are called to do. I believe that's the call. I think that's what the gospel is partly about. That's not that's not how you're saved. Now, you're not saved by giving all your money to the poor. You're saved by obeying the gospel. But once you obey the gospel to live, the gospel is a life of giving. Not self-seeking, no longer seeking you what's what's best for you, but seeking what's best for others. That's the call of the gospel. Uh, Ephesians 4:28, I think, Mike. Let him who steal, who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. Now, once again, that passage is not a Marxist passage or a right. socialist passage. That says that what you earn by your work is yours, and you need to give to those who have need, as well as take care of your own responsibilities right. from other passages. So, but but it's giving. And so uh, it's a call that we preach about here from time to time, but it isn't about whether you – it's not – I don't preach about to give about you giving to the church per se. That's part of it. But it's about you giving uh, your life and your means to those who, who, need, who are around you who need it. And uh, we Americans certainly need this teaching, not so we could become collectivists, but so that we can become generous with what God gives us. And here's the other thing, Laura. Uh, God, in that same passage in 2 Corinthians, he says very clearly that he will give seed to the sower. In other words, the more generous you are, let me, let me just look that verse up and read it to you. Um, it's um, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 10. I couldn't remember the verse. It says, now, now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, supply and multiply the seed that you have sown and increase the fruit of your righteousness while you are enriched in everything for all liberality. So what he's saying is that people who sow the seed by spending their money as it should be spent will be given more money to spend. A man who doesn't sow his seed, who leaves his seed in the barn, this verse is saying God will not give that man more seed. He's given him seed, and if he doesn't sow his seed, he won't be given more. But a man who takes his seed and puts it in the ground and sows his seed will be given more seed in abundance. And that's the lesson we have to learn as Christians about our money and our time and our talents, is that the more that we give them to other people as a gift out of, out of joy in our hearts for Christ's gift to us, he'll give us more of that. So I don't worry when I give money to people, really, because... I know that God's promised me he'll give seed to the sower. So I'll get it back. I may not get it back from that person. But I need to have an open hand and I'll get it back when God decides I need to get it back. It's a hard lesson to learn, isn't it? Amen. It's it's difficult. It's challenging. Christianity is so challenging. It's uh, who was it? I can't remember who said this, Laura. It's like. uh, I think it was someone like Chesterton. He said Christianity has has uh, not been tried and found wanting. It's been tried and found too difficult. In other words, 
it isn't that Christianity's failed because everybody tries so hard to do it right and it just fails. It's because when we begin to do it, we realize how difficult and demanding it is and we give up trying to do it that way. And, and I think he's more right about that than wrong for sure. We got a few minutes left. Anything else you want to add, Laura? Uh, no, no, that was a lot of wonderful enlightenment. And I hope there were other people who will understand to really take that chance on Christianity. God will never let you down. Thank you for your time, gentlemen, and God bless you. God bless you, and thank you for calling. Y yes, it's the thing that we have to understand about. And, and I, I've always wrestled, Gary knows this, I've always wrestled with this, the issue of the problem of evil, that is, why does bad things happen to good people in a sense? And I have, my, I have my own answers to that, which are not different probably than anybody else who's thought about it too much, except that what's, what you have to come to accept as a Christian is that God blesses you in Christ. He gives you more than you've ever wanted, but he doesn't always give you what you expect what you think he should. He doesn't give it in the amount that you think he should. He gives it differently. Go ahead, Gary. Uh, well, there's something I think we need to realize. The, the, a, lot, a lot of times, even in books like the Psalms and Proverbs and compared to Job, and, and then let's compare the, uh, one of the parables about uh, the, the man who hired uh, men to go into his vineyard, okay? And he said, basically, they complained because some that worked a short time got the same amount of pay as those that mm -hmm. worked parable uh, the, all, all day. All day. Yeah. And then there are other places where we see that he <laughs> says, I'm going to reward you according to your deeds. I'm going to reward you according to your capabilities. There seems to be a contradiction there. And yet what it's pointing to, at least to me, is that God is in control and he analyzes the situation differently from what we do. And we don't always understand that how both of those situations can have application, but God does. And he places right. his he places his decisions and his actions on something that's more than what we see. Yes, and it's it's, used, it's very individual. Right. It doesn't matter just of what whether a person takes a position on this or that that saves them, particularly in the end, it's going to be in their own heart. What is going on and what are they holding back or giving and what are they doing with right. it? And and it goes to their own life. The real challenges are in you and in what's going on in your heart and your your own actions. Well, I could talk a long time on this. We've only got a minute, about a minute left. But Well, what I was going to say is if you look at uh, the the Proverbs and basically the Psalms, you might very well agree with Job's friends. And yet when we see in Job, that's not the way it was. Mm -hmm. There's something else going on here. There was another purpose that God had in that. Right. And, and we have to understand. We don't always know the purpose. Right. And we don't always know the purpose. And yet he has our good at heart in everything that he does. We have to understand that. But I'm going to tell you, there's some things like collectivism that simply are against human nature and do not work. Yes, that do not and we'll, work. We can talk about that another time. While our time is gone today, we really appreciate everyone listening and those who called and texted Thank you very much for that. Hope you'll tune in again next week to We Are Just Christians at 9 a.m. Eastern, and hope that you'll take a look at our website, wearejustchristians.com, wearejustchristians.com. Tell your friends about the show. They can get it on the Internet uh, by going to uh, wpsl.com, 
And we'd also like to invite you to come to our services. We meet at 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard, 2196 Southwest Savona at 10 this morning, 11, and also Wednesday night at 730. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you. You've been listening to We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie.